Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to episode 135 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I am Andy Stewart, occasional filmmaker, frequent podcaster, and as of today, man with a sore ear. Oh, okay, is that the ailment of the day? It is the ailment of the day and I'll tell you what happened, Mitch. I was going about my business today, I took my hat off, I kind of rubbed my head, right? You know that you, mm-hmm. you know when you get like, when you wear a hat for too long and it kind of makes your follicles hurt? Yeah, yeah, I know. I just thought, yeah. like, I'll, I'll rub that out. So I started like rubbing my head and I caught the back of my earring bar thing, the, you know, the little, the, like the flat bit that stops it like falling out your ear from the back. Mm-hmm, I, got I you. caught that on my wedding ring and gave it a right good oh. yoink and uh, I bled, I bled from my ear so it's quite, it's quite throbby now. No, well, that's no good. Let's uh, try and pick you up a little bit with a conversation about this film. So we don't have a guest this week. Um, we had a full card of guests for the start of January. So for the final episode of the month, we are uh, doing our monthly Andy versus Mitch episode. Andy, it was your turn to pick a film. You took us back to 1993 with Body Melt. I did, yeah. Now... I mentioned on the mini that I wasn't sure how this was going to go. Yeah, yeah, in terms of how I would take to it, you mean? Yeah, yeah, because I think it's fair to say there's a lot of similarities to Street Trash. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when I text you, I knew you were watching this because we were kind of in the run-up to recording. I text you at the approximate time I knew you would be deep into this film, about 40 yes. minutes mm-hmm. ago. And I noticed that you saw it, but you left me on red. I did leave you on red for quite a long time. Yeah. I didn't really come up for a con. We can kind of get into the particulars of that as we go. But um, why body melt? Why body melt? You know me. You've now seen the film. The, the kind of question of why body melt answers itself. It does a bit, yeah. Why body melt? There's a few films that I will always kind of tout as being the ones that kind of got me into body horror and wanting to play with slime and fake pus and all the gunk and gunge that I have put into my own work. Mm-hmm. Body Melt is right up there with them. Body Melt is up there with things okay. like Street Trash, things like The Incredible Melton Man, things like The Fly. Uh, so to me, Body Melt is as indelible a film in my kind of youth as any of those other titles that I've mentioned. I think for a long time, actually, I thought this was made by Troma. But the first time I saw it, it, to me, it was among the most disgusting things I think I'd ever seen. And I took to it immediately. And it was one of those kind of, I don't want to say guilty pleasures, because I think that's a reductive term. But it was a Mm -hmm. film that I just kept going back to the well on loads of times and just digging into the various levels of it. It was a film that the effects are so kind of front and centre and the rest of it really doesn't matter a great deal beyond the kind of surface level satire that's in there but it was a film that I, I went back to loads of times just because I wanted to know how they, they did it yeah I can understand that yeah uh, so that's kind of why I chose Body Melt plus let's kickstart this year with a bang this is the first one of these that we've done in 2021 and a bang I would say is a way of putting it um, <laughs> I would say you mentioned trauma there I do kind of get that I get mm. that as a comparison I would say that this feels like cartoonish and caricature in a different way to them 
Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's got more in common, I suppose, with Peter Jackson's early films. I guess that's a kind of unavoidable comparison, given they're both from the Antipodean countries. I guess that's true. Yeah, absolutely. I have my opinions on where this sits on the spectrum of the films that you've mentioned, because I have now seen all of them almost entirely and exclusively for this. <laughs> sure, sure. But we can get to that. However, um, I have assumed the position is Master of Time. Oh, oh God, this is going to be hard. Uh, yeah, this is a potentially tricky one. It might also be for my benefit. Um, <laughs> for the benefit of anyone who has seen the film and doesn't understand it. <laughs> Good to go? Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm ready. Okay, let's do it. Three, two, one, go. Uh, Vimeuville are a massive conglomerate kind of evil corporation. Uh, they make vitamins and stuff and they have made a nondescript vitamin drug that has been tried on a small suburban neighbourhood uh, but it is missing a vital component without which the drug is unstable and it makes people uh, do various things that of uh, increasing disgust in this. Fair one, and that's with a second and a half left to go. Oh. Uh, so not bad at all, and I think that just about all you need in terms of scene setting and probably story, really. <laughs> to a large extent but we do start with um an ad for uh Vimeoville itself yes which um i kind of took to be a gym and fitness center to begin with and then i realized that it's kind of also health supplements right it's like, i guess it's like banatine's health spas or something right uh other health spas are available of course i think it's like this massive kind of chain of gyms and like uh saunas and stuff like that but they also have a sideline and I guess, complementary supplements. Yeah, aha. Uh-huh. And I would say that of those two arms of the business, that's the one that's going to get most of the focus here. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I mean, they both get a decent amount of a look-in. I suppose that's true, but I would say that it's like 70-30 in favour of the supplements. Sure. And I just want to say quickly, by the way, any criticisms you have of this film are staved off immediately by the fact that the film opens with a card that says, Dumb Films Presents. It is a little bit preemptive, I would say. Yeah, yeah. aha. Uh-huh. You can holster um, your criticisms early because after that anything better than dumb is a bonus i can holster some of them um <laughs> next up we see some uh, some needles being prepped fairly intense montage and then um a naked woman shan yes that's right yeah <laughs> injects a similarly naked sleeping man ryan with some yellow green serum which seems to spell the title of the film on his body. <laughs> That's correct, yeah. Again, I, I love the way the title comes up. Like, one of it kind of swells out of skin, and the other one's kind of made from, like, mucus and phlegm and fluids, general fluids, of which you will see a lot of them throughout the, the kind of runtime of this film. Yeah, no problem with the title card at all. Um, she seems to, yeah, have uh, kind of carried out some kind of experiment on him. She goes on the phone to an as-yet-unknown person and says that uh, she has fixed him, air quotes, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also says he won't make it till morning, which concludes the Machiavellian conversation she has on her giant 1993 flip phone with Ariel. Also, can I just say, I watched this with subtitles on, and I did send this to you early on in, in my viewing of it today. I feel a bit vindicated having just watched this with subtitles on because you mocked my age publicly <laughs> the other day because I don't I couldn't tell you what type of music I was listening to and whatever it was we were watching at the time and I referred to it as bass music. Yep. The subtitles came up at this point with bass music and I <laughs> couldn't have been happier. <laughs> In the subtitles for this 27-year-old film Vindication at last. <laughs> um 
We are, at least in part for this, uh, in Holmesville, which seems to be a very small suburban neighbourhood. It seems to be about kind of six houses. Yeah, it's a little cul-de-sac, uh, specifically Pebbles Court. Yes, Pebbles Court, because we do get a kind of um, a digital tour or a virtual tour of that, and we zero in on the home of a Paul Matthews, nine Pebbles Court. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Ryan heads in that direction, uh, burns his ID card on the way. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Now, is he just basically being a delivery driver for free samples of these supplements at this point? Ryan? Yeah. No, he knows there's something afoot. Is this one of these moments, by the way, where you need clarification on what's actually going on? Just so yeah, is he, is he trying to warn him? Yeah, because what we know is that Paul is the first... He's like patient one or something. He's like the first person who has been given the supplement. Okay, right, that makes sense. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Like, I didn't understand that right away, but I pieced it together later. Okay. Uh, Ryan stops at a gas station, though, and this is where things start to take a turn. He drinks an entire bottle of detergent in here to the obvious kind of surprise and shock of the shopkeeper. Even though, obviously, this isn't detergent, this is still really gross when he does that, although not half as gross as what happens next. The, the grossness of it is reinforced by the fact that he kind of rifles through the bottles on the shelves until he finds one that has whatever the specific ingredient is. I think it actually says formaldehyde on the back of the bottle. I don't know if okay. that plays a part. It doesn't really explain that like in any detail why he drinks detergent. He just does. Maybe but- he's just trying to like purge his system. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps. There's easier ways to do that. Drink salt water. Yeah, but that was that was kind of my assumption that he was trying to cleanse himself with something and he wasn't necessarily thinking straight in the doing of that. Yeah, eat a KFC. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's famous for its healing properties. Slam. It was more because it makes you sick. <laughs> yeah. The kind of large contusions that appear on his throat here are really cool. A lot of the practical stuff in this is great. Yeah, pretty much from the first time we see this character to the, the very end of the film when things get extremely messy. I generally think that most of the effects in this are pretty strong yeah i would agree um i'm just gonna come out and say that i don't like a great deal else about it (laughs) but i think that uh it gets all of that stuff pretty much dead on i mean also kind of adding to my trepidation we cut next to a man and his pregnant wife i'm also hoping that i don't need to remember everybody's names which i don't think i really do i Uh, think i've got you covered for most of it cool cool in this case we're, we're looking at cheryl and brian Cheryl and Brian. Uh, did you notice that when uh, Ryan approaches the like the attendant in that gas station, the guy's brandishing like uh, a crowbar and a tin of fly killer, which I don't think's an accident. I think he's got the fly killer because there's a swipe of the Seth Brundle about him at this point. Oh, okay. That would make sense. That's a good nod if that is what they're doing, I would say. But yeah, I mean, obviously, having just seen what we've just seen, the minute that you introduce a pregnant character, I'm getting the fear about what's going to happen later, (laughs) uh, which turns out to be justified. Um, uh, Ryan is hurtling towards uh, Paul's house to warn him, and he's screaming his symptoms like into a dictaphone, like Stan at the end of the video for Stan. (laughs) Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, this is the the unhinged rabblings of a man at the end of his rope. Really? Aha. Uh-huh. He rattles off some of his symptoms. Uh, first phase, hallucinogenic. Second phase, glandular. The third phase he doesn't get to, but it is left kind of explained by his loud guttural scream and then driving his car directly into the van. Yeah, all um, by the poster, which tells you that the third stage is, in fact, body melt. Yeah, aha. Uh-huh. Which, again, I guess becomes self-evident here. Um... When he dies here again, I mean, like, I'm just, I'm just going to flag up the practical stuff because of my kind of inclination to be positive about things. Um, <laughs> because the tendrils that sprout from his kind of from his throat and kind of grab all the orifices in his head are very cool as well. Yeah, a pretty nifty stunt smash through the car window here as well. 
Yes, not bad at all. Uh, more rapid-fire character introductions, less significant this time, the two kind of keystone cops. Right, sure, one of which has an unbelievably strong handlebar moustache. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's a statement. That's one for the ages. That's the timeless gondolier look. <laughs> that's the kind of photo that you take into your barber and say, I want that, I want yeah, to look yeah, like a man. This. <laughs> also, very brief introduction to, I believe, Gino and Sal? Yeah, Gino and Sal, who don't really matter in the long run. Yeah, uh uh-huh yeah i've got some problems with that which we'll get to as their story kind of unfolds a little more sure (laughs) Uh, that's the part i'm going to struggle the most to explain away yeah uh uh-huh but yeah they they kind of uh they seem like two kind of like well-intentioned idiots yeah okay Mm -hmm. maybe well-intentioned is kind of a stretch but they're not like bad people bad people no they are just mostly concerned about donating their sperm uh yes to uh, to make the big bucks to make the big bucks. It seems to be that Vimuville are offering them more than just financial incentive to donate their sperm. I think they've been promised that the facility where they'll be donating, if you like, is also mm. going to be staffed by beautiful women who may or may not have sex with them. Yes, it does seem that way. That's, that seems to be the kind of tone of their chat when they're driving off in that direction. <laughs> um, just before that, we catch uh, Paul in an airport, which uh, we come back to in a very strange way shortly. But yeah, Gino and Sal, let's stick with them for the moment. Okay. Because they uh, get lost on the way to the health farm and uh, they encounter another strange looking person with odd facial lumps. There's a distinct Hills Have Eyes vibe to this. Yeah, they don't get lost there. They pull off specifically because they have a smashed windscreen. Mm, Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry, my mistake. That's right. Uh, And they they pull off Um, at the home of Pud, uh, who certainly who advertises himself as a windscreen repairman, but who you see do very little in the way of windscreen repairs. Also, I mean, like, that is incredibly fortuitous from their point of view, or it does seem that way, because I would not say that a roadside stall windshield repairman sees a lot of passenger aid there. No, no, and the sign didn't look professional. It was like, you know, sometimes around the streets of Glasgow, you'll see, like, hand-painted signs. Like, someone will have just yeah. got, like, a white board and wrote on it in black that they've got a van that you can hire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 those like, kinds of things. It's, it's definitely that kind of vibe, isn't it? I, I don't want to get my fingerprints on any van from that person. I'm not being somebody's patsy. No. <laughs> Um, after this really weird exchange, they then go to this kind of weird, almost like diner. Yeah, yeah, it's all part of uh, Pud's, I don't want to say complex. It's business park. It's business park, yeah, yeah, where he's got his auto workshop. He has his several trailers and, uh, yeah, what appears to be a small cafe where the seats look ripped right out of cars. Uh-huh, um, and then we meet, who uh, Who are these people? <laughs> I think they're painted as relatives of Puds. Now, it's never uh, really made explicitly clear, but we do find out a little bit more about Puds, so there's two ways you can look at this, right, I think. And I don't mind kind of throwing my theories out into the world here, because I don't think it matters. Right, sure. we We know that Pud used to work with Dr. Carrera, who we'll get to later, right? They worked together for... The company that is now Vimuville. Yes, that's right. And they worked together on creating various drugs. And while Dr. Carrera was very keen to test the drugs on other people, mm-hmm. Pud crows about the fact that he was the only person willing to test them on himself. Now, I would say he is either the father of these creatures, <laughs> is all they can really be described as, uh-huh. uh, who have since been born with various deformities. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they are off-cast experiments. Okay. I, I assumed it was a family, but yeah, that's also a theory. 
Yeah. Yeah, I just think that the ages are too all over the place. There's like people who are older even than Pud seems. Mm-hmm. Like the old lady who's just sitting I, watching hardcore porn. I was praying to God that this was not going to be like how these characters spent their time, like Gino and Sal for most of the film. Like I was hoping this was going to be like a harbinger roadside encounter. Uh-huh. It was to my immense disappointment that we had to spend so much time here because every inch of this made me profoundly uncomfortable. Yeah, it is the most unsettling and the most street trashy segment in the whole film. Yeah, I think that there's also a question over kind of like, I understand the purpose it serves, I suppose, in that we need to understand Pod and where he mm-hmm. figures in the overall picture. Yeah. But my question is, does Pod need to feature at all? And with that, therefore, does any of this have to happen? Because I would say that of this film, because this one's 75 minutes plus credits. <laughs> um, and if you take this element out of it, and I would argue that it is borderline redundant, then what you don't have is a feature. I watched, the version I watched is the 88 films Blu-ray, right? It's 83 okay. minutes long. All right, okay, okay. So I don't know if you maybe missed some, I don't want to say crucial stuff. The fact, yeah, Mitch, you missed some crucial stuff that would have made this film a 10 for you. Absolutely, 100%. I'm certain that that's what happened. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But what I would say about the character of Pud is that through his actions, we do learn, I guess, the folly of what the Vimeoville guys are doing. I suppose that's true. But by the same token, that could have been any character. That could have just been a guy. Like, I don't know if we needed this massive kind of, like you say, Hills of Eyes backstory with these truly grotesque characters. Yeah, I wasn't mad about it. Um, but I mean, I do understand why it had to be there. And what I would say as well is that, like, I think that it's like me sitting here being like, me criticising this film for making me uncomfortable is like criticising a duck for quacking. Like, it's not a criticism, I don't suppose, because it's obviously what it's setting out to do. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, at least I'm savvy enough to acknowledge that much. Uh, but yeah, I was kind of gutted that we had to spend so much time here just because it kind of unseated me to such an extent. But separate from that, and just to cut away briefly, Paul meets Kate. Yeah. Who is this fairly grotesquely disfigured woman. That's right, yeah. I actually think she is the victim of domestic abuse. Right, okay. She's she's very, very heavily kind of like um, bruised and traumatised around the face. Yeah, her dialogue does hint to the fact that she was with a guy... Uh, who was a bit of a bastard. Right, okay, sure. And I guess that kind of feeds into the fact that Paul, in effect, kind of takes her into his care a little bit. But she doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, no, but like he theoretically takes her home. That's right, yeah. But what is stage one, Mitch? That's what you always need to remember. Hallucinogenics. Yeah, that's it. Well, and yeah, and I mean, like while this happens, obviously, he has this dream sequence where he's seduced by this woman in a blue dress. I have some questions about this, but we'll get to them when this kind of comes back around again. That's also Kate. Yeah, aha. Uh-huh. Well, I was going to say, I figured that out later on when you see them kind of spliced together. Right. But um, I was profoundly confused by what this actually was doing. <laughs> okay so um, i'll call call on your expertise at that point right um but yeah like at this point we go back to uh pod's emporium right sure Mm -hmm. uh, his industrial estate and yeah to my immense disappointment gino and sal have befriended the two guys at the diner and then obviously there's the woman in there as well i think you're referring to here are bab and bronto who are the two kind of main guys that we meet yeah sure okay yeah Mm -hmm. and then slab why do all the character names in this sound like onomatopoeia bob bronto slab and mac yeah and Pud. <laughs> they all sound like things that would come up on the screen when some, somebody gets hit by something in, a, in like a 1960s Batman or something. <laughs> okay, okay. One of the two of them, Gino and Sal, and I'm not going to lie, they, they became interchangeable to me. I think, is it Sal who gets seduced by Slab? That's right, yeah, yeah. Aha, okay. <laughs> When she kind of like carts him off to the barn, I remember thinking that I was just like, I was like, every inch of this is disgusting. 
It's disgusting that he's so into it in the first place. And then everything that happens after that fact is also disgusting. Sure, yes. Um, aha. I think that everything that happens in this moment and also everything before it and after it. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm so glad I picked this. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's not often that you kind of push me in this way, so um, I think that it's a good pick in that way. I think the thing that's bothering me about this at this point is that I think that both of the main plot lines have spent a decent amount of time just kind of wallowing in unpleasantness. I don't feel like this, at this point, exists to be anything other than nasty. There might be truth to that. And I think that, and I think that the reason that I don't like this as much as I like things like The Incredible Melting Mine is because I feel like there's a distinct lack of kind of heart here that is not missing from those films. Okay, yeah, no, I do, I do absolutely get that. And I do feel like that's why it kind of feels trauma-esque in a way, because with the exception of certain trauma films, I do feel it is all about nasty for nasty's sake. And I, I, I totally get why you would think that about Body Melt. Aha, uh-huh. and I mean, like, and like I say, I get that as well, that this is like... It's supposed to be an exercise in unpleasantness. I get that. It's just not something I would ever choose to watch because that is not my thing. Of course, of course. Um, But this is why we do these things, and this is why I'm watching this. (laughs) This, he spat. I don't don't mean to make it sound quite so much like I'm gritting my teeth to such an extent to do this, but I did kind of have to for portions of this. No, 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 that's fine. And I think also as well that, that the thing that obviously caught my eye and appealed to me the most about this is the practical effects in, in those kinds of things and at this point it's probably the longest stretch in the film we go without any new ones of those yeah I get. I think that probably the closest you get here apart from the, the character's horrible makeup is the amazing stuffed uh, what looks like a teddy bear kangaroo oh um, uh, when Gino and Sal and Zork and Kapow kill the animal <laughs> yeah when uh, one of them throws a, a stone and it hits a kangaroo right between the eyes and yeah, uh-huh. yeah. This is like, and then yeah and then they kind of like disembowel it and eat those really weird specific bits of its insides that's right yeah the, the adrenal uh-huh. glands yeah. adrenal gland thank you i meant to write that down yeah i mean like i say i mean like i was eating my dinner during the sequence <laughs> which to be fair if i was not, talking if it, into my dinner of adrenal glands and <laughs> Put me right off it. No, like, um, if anything, this was a mistake on my part, of course. Sure, yeah, yeah. Like, I should, I should have known, but, um, but yeah, pretty heavy going. And um, yeah, my theory slash, I guess, criticism that this is an exercise in nastiness is uh, not dispelled at all by the next scene where uh, we see Sal getting kind of like not pitchforked between the legs. I don't know what that is. I think it's just a big branch, just a just just a large piece of wood. Yeah, there's a moment that uh, slab kind of they're kind of just kissing and stuff and Slab's like oh do you want a love bite and it's been a little while since I watched this and certainly a while since I watched it with any kind of critical eye sure um, so when she mentioned love bite I was like oh, remember then <laughs> hopefully not like this no um, not like this but do you, do you remember when love bites were a thing you either wore them as a badge of honour or you hid them desperately lest you be mercilessly mocked yes absolutely yeah yeah. that was very much a binary switch during growing up wasn't it yeah no, there was a point where you could walk into school with your neck absolutely covered in love bites and people would be like oh player and then like when you got to maybe 16 or something if you had a love bite you were like i'm gonna dress like the fucking milk tree man with like the biggest turtleneck <laughs> i could get my fucking hands on like and i will wear the same absolutely. jumper for a week until the bruising goes down uh yeah yeah absolutely but yeah he gets he gets cannibalized that's the kind of love bite that she's referring to it is yeah yeah it seems like you're kind of right 
certainly in so much as it relates to slab that she has a taste for flesh yeah sure and it's also at this point that gino stumbles into the room where like the gross filthy person is watching porn in that awful room Mm. (laughs) Um, uh, yeah this is all just fucking hideous like um the stuff with paul Uh and the police investigating what's going on is way more my speed than this like everything about this is a battle for me right okay that's fair well we're just about done with gino and sally anyway this is very true yeah um because uh, while all this is going on because they basically try and escape it doesn't pan out the truck that they try to escape and breaks down well sal's fucked so he's not going anywhere but gino does try to escape but the truck doesn't actually steer it just goes in a circle yeah not not, not great and uh, meanwhile though yeah the two detectives that we have here jono and sam yeah yeah we've got sam phillips here and jono is kind of wise cracking simpleton sidekick yeah so um they're both kind of trying to figure out what's going on uh ref ryan's crash from the beginning so they go to the resort and talk to sean yeah, I guess he's the Lewis to Phillips's boss. I suppose that's true. Yeah. Uh, Willie the Scientist also has some exposition for us at this point. He does, yeah. He's wearing a tie-dye t-shirt as well, just to, to work in the morgue. I think he's a, I think he's a mortician rather than just a scientist, Mitch. I think that's, uh, that's kind of painting with very broad strokes there. I suppose so. It also might be a global hypercolour, because that was run about the time. Do you remember then? No, I don't know what that is, no. Oh, you're showing your... Well, I'm showing my age here, if anything. Global hypercolour, Mitch, was a, was a brand of t-shirts, right, where you could put them on and they were, like, orange. And if you put your hand on them, they would maybe go, like, purple or pink. Like, they would change depending on the heat. Yeah, right, okay. That's... Well, I mean, it might be that. I mean, that sounds plausible. I just thought you, like, liked The Grateful Dead. Right, okay. Well, but I didn't mention the fact that Pud is clearly a Deep Purple fan. Because <laughs> he spends a long time quoting lyrics from Highway Star. Yep, right true. Good spot. Absolutely. But yeah, he speculates that Ryan was on new drugs. Mm. Uh, cognition enhancers. I think it's kind of a... It's, it's a stretch to say that his cognition's been enhanced. Isn't, I don't know how he would necessarily know that from his cops. It's not like you can run tests on his intelligence. He, he is nothing more than meat at this point. That's right. So back to Paul at this point and a revisit of the kind of like air quotes kind of sex scene that he has with the uh, recovered Kate or the kind of like the Kate in her original form. Yeah, Kate the sex phantom. Yes, so um, so this is a hallucination. Yes, this okay. is all part of the process. This is stage one. Uh-huh. And this is a weird hallucination because she, because it looks like it's all going pretty well for him initially and then she basically <laughs> says that she's out collecting ribs from men and she's got 12 and she only needs one more so he's fucked. Yeah, and it, she kind of massages his rib out which I always find really unsettling to watch. Yeah. Like, it's the, it's the, the rubbing and it just kind of coming out. It's really minging. It's quite cool, though. Yeah, it's cool. It's like, it, it looks really meaty and realistic. Yeah, but it's a really horrible idea. It really is grim. It's the slow massaging of it that gets me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really creepy, actually. It's not something I would have necessarily thought to mention, but I'm glad that you did. Mm. Um, because cause I did like it. Meanwhile, yeah, now, I, I did just, I kind of just, like, like I say, I immediately got the fear the minute that we saw a pregnant woman in this. Uh-huh. She says that she's having some weird dreams straight off the back of what we've just seen. I don't like where this is headed. She goes to the doctor who explains away her insomnia basically by saying, because baby. You say just a doctor, Mitch, but this is Dr. Carrera. Right? This is a huge character in this film. And more than that, he's a recognisable face. For Dr. Carrera is played by Ian Smith, who played 
Harold Bishop on Neighbours. No way, really? I had no idea. This is like, this is like, I, I know nothing about Neighbours. Well, you're going to find out more things about Neighbours, Mitch, kind of over the course of us doing this, because there's a few people who crop up in this who were also in Neighbours. Oh, good. I look forward to that being entirely lost on me. It won't be lost on some of our listeners. But yeah, Dr. Carrera, uh, he counsels caution, basically tells her to kind of take it easy, then gets on the phone and talks to Shan, I believe, at this point, doesn't he? That's right, yeah. And he tells Shan that he's got to lower Cheryl's dosage. So right away, we know, oh, fuck. She's taking the, like, she's part of this whole fucking conspiracy, this whole experiment. Dr. Carrera's really quite adamant that they have to change strategy and stop these drugs going out because at the moment they're far too unpredictable. And he actually makes an interesting reference to thalidomide, which was obviously a notorious drug that caused massive deformities in unborn children. So, yes, uh-huh. I, I think it's interesting that the film mentions things like that. Uh huh. It's which I guess is kind of like trying to set itself in the realistic language of the time, which is pretty unsettling, I think. <laughs> but yeah, she's reluctant to do this, Shan, as it'll invalidate her uh, results. Um, or the results for this patient. It's funny when they cut back here and we have that incredibly ripped guy with a really high-pitched voice standing beside her. Yeah, that's right. That's Beauville. He's kind of the muscular sidekick, if you like. Uh, but she, yeah, yeah, the reason that Shan doesn't want to stop this is that she's already got a supply deal in place. Yes, uh-huh, uh-huh. So um, it's, it's the almighty dollar again. Yeah, that's it, Mitch. The, the, I was going to say the bloodless pursuit, uh, the almighty buck, but there's a lot of blood involved here. No, it's very much a blood full pursuit of the almighty dollar, uh, for sure. So finally, the gross baby stuff that's been seeded since the very beginning happens here. Uh, placenta on the kitchen floor, the works, uh, revolting. That's it, yeah. We do see a couple of scenes of Cheryl kind of struggling, her stomach rumbling. Um, she's sitting on the toilet. What's going on? Oh, what's, what could be happening? Obviously, she thinks that she's perhaps going into premature labour. That is not the case, and she does evacuate a placenta on the floor which very quickly goes missing um, and she phones up Dr. Carrera and she's like uh, is it normal to like shed your placenta a month early? And he's like oh, uh, no no, <laughs> probably not no, no um, she does eventually die of course the husband is kind of attacked by similar tendrils that burst out Orion, bursting out of her it's the placenta itself attacks her, attaches itself oh, okay. to her face um she is about to perform some kind of surgery on herself with not a knife, that in this case, Mitch, but an actual letter opener. Yeah. <laughs> it's just gained a star for that. Yeah. And then she uh, is kind of disarmed by Brian, and then her stomach busts open like in the, the thing. And Brian, the poor bastard, he, he, he gets this pinned on him because he's caught with a letter opener, essentially. Yes, gets hauled in, doesn't he? That's right. He's he has this the murder of his pregnant wife put upon him when in fact it was nothing to do with him. Absolutely not. No, no. Um and while this is going on, Dr. Carrera is confronted by an absolutely hideous looking Paul, probably my favourite um effect moment in this. That's absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's, yep, it's great. Amazing effect. Yeah, he's with the bug eyes and his mouth's like all splayed open. Amazing. Yeah, he's on his way to having a very explodey face, but seeing that kind of like midway there is really cool. Yeah, I really like the the scene in the house actually, where where Phillips quizzes Carrera about the tape that they found on Ryan in the three stages, and he's like, "Do you know of any diseases where the third stage might be something incredibly awful? Like would it, would start with these other symptoms and stuff?" I really like that little moment where we actually get to see him doing some kind of police procedural stuff rather than just like zipping from A to B. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. That is good. Yeah, like, it's, it's probably necessary, I would say. I guess it is, but at that point, we're already kind of armed with the knowledge that Carrera will do and say anything to get himself off the hook here. 
while this is going on, a, a family turn up at the resort who are a pretty strange bunch, but I do think it's funny when the sister calls the brother Wiener Dick. Wiener Dick, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's like calling someone ass butt. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is the Noble family. We have the patriarch of the family, Thompson Noble, and the mother, Angelica. And then we have the daughter, Eloise, and the son, Brandon. Brandon was also in Neighbours for people who know what the fuck I'm talking about. And he played Joe Mangle's son, Toby Mangle, way, way back in the day on Neighbours. Surely you remember Toby Mangle, Mitch? Absolutely, 100%. Of course I do. <laughs> As the nobles settle in, Shan checks in on the progress of another family and uh, wants to up their testing. Well, elsewhere, a horny, muscular man's penis explodes, because of course it does. I kind of feel like... It was only a matter of time until someone's dick blew up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to be honest, I think we could have done with more of that moment. Given the way that the rest of the film plays out, I think it's a little bit of a cop-out to just have his pants grown a little bit and then blood splashing all over a television. Yeah, I would say that it's probably about the only punch that it pulls in that department. And it's a weird time to do it. <laughs> like, you've already seen, like, real scrotum when we get a kind of glimpse of that portal that they're watching. Like, So it's, it's weird that you would go... Well, we can't have a big, massive, fake rubber cock. I think we also get a glimpse of scrotum right at the very start. We definitely get a glimpse of pube and a glimmer of shaft. Certainly, yeah, which which is to be commended for. There's not enough quality in this department. That's right, that's absolutely... Although we do see his corpse cock later when we're in the, the morgue as well. Duncan McLeish would be proud. Of the amount of times that we've managed to get the word cock in in the last 30 seconds. No, because his general celebration of uh, male nudity in films. Of course, of course. Yeah, well, and that, if that's what you're after, then this film kind of, in the first half an hour, has a fair old whack of it. Sure does. We do kind of get the connection between Pud and Dr. Carrera here, because uh, Dr. Carrera goes to see him and kind of gets openly mocked by him for the fact that this empire is crumbling and everything's going to shit. Yeah, and by this point as well, Dr. Carrera's had his ear ripped off. Sure has, yeah. Uh, he looks ridiculous by this point. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's really funny. Like, I, I know you're not you're not a neighbors person but having watched neighbors when i was younger to see ian smith in this right about the same time actually that neighbors was kind of really big uh, i'd be like i can't believe that's harold bishop running around with that preposterous looking bandage around his fucking head okay yeah i get that um i actually think that this is one of the better moments in the whole film when we get an understanding of their relationship and why pod is like is the way he is but also why he's so embittered and stuff like that i think that it's really quite good yeah, yeah, it's great. I think it, that is great. And then he, he reveals the fact that he has held on to a particular additive that needs to be added to the drug to avoid everything that's currently happening. Yes. Can I tell you about one of my favourite bits in the whole film, Mitch? Just before we yes, go you can. Before you can, we go you on. can. I have to talk about the scene where the nobles just kind of arrive at Vimeuville. They kind of settle in, they have their lunch, and then young Brandon decides to head off for a bit of rollerblading. He does, yeah. By the way, I have to say, an incredibly accomplished rollerblader, up to a point. He is pulling off stunts that are world class. He's quite good, isn't he? He's very, very good. And then uh, up until the yeah. point where he falls from an extreme height, and it kind of cuts to black, and then you see the parents are like, oh, where is Brandon? We've not seen him all day. And they're like, oh, he's camping out under the stars tonight. And it cuts back, and he is literally, for want of a better word, mangled. Aye, it's like it's almost like he like, exploded an impact with the ground. It's pretty grotesque. Yeah, his face is uh, an absolute treat, and another one of those really great effects that's in this film. That is a shambles. Check us out laughing at dead kids. I know, eh? Classic us. <laughs> what a um, <laughs> 
Um, speaking of faces in shambles, great one here. Eloise, uh, everything starts to kind of go to shit for the nobles. Mm. Uh, I say everything starts to go to shit. The sun's already dead, but like things start to go to shit in a more overt, right in front of your eyes kind of way. Eloise runs to try and get some assistance from Shan and finds her melting. Yeah, this is a, this is in the um, aftermath of her dad literally spewing gallons of green slime out of his face, and then his face melting into what appears to be like melted ice cream. Yes, aha, uh-huh, aha. Uh-huh. It all gets very slimy from here on out. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. Yeah. Um, but it is great when um Shan's kind of like screeching at her, and she slaps her in the face, and that just kind of like catalyzes the melting, and her face and her head just kind of slumps. Yeah, it just kind of implodes upon itself, like just folds up into itself like a like a dying star. Aha, uh-huh, exactly. We're pulling in towards the end of this thing now, and it's kind of difficult to keep tabs on all the spinning plates because it is just like chaos at every turn here. Right, okay, I'll, I'll see what I can do to help keep you linear. So, the jig is up for Dr. Carrera. That's right, yes. He has one ear, he has pretty much run out of road, Shan is dead, she's had yeah. her head melted in, she's pretty much out of the game. Uh, Vimuville's collapsing around their ears. Even the big muscular guys, one of them's cocks exploded and the other one has strangled a woman to death mid-sex. Yeah, and then has also died himself. Yes. Uh, so I yeah. don't know if that's anything to do with what he was taking. That might just be because he's so grotesquely muscular. Yeah, that might have been an entirely unrelated steroid problem. Yeah, because a lot of these really muscly guys, they don't last long. <laughs> that's how I console myself as well. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I just stand in front of the mirror with my hands either side of my fat beard belly, jiggling it and saying, could be worse, I could be healthy and muscly. Yeah, ah, how shit would that be? <laughs> um, why does he shoot himself in the hand? Mm, good question. Okay. Next. <laughs> okay, I'm kind I of totally vindicated forgot by about that. that. And I don't think I wrote, it, I wrote anything down about it. Okay, I'm kind of vindicated by the fact that you don't just immediately answer that, because I just assumed that you would do that, well, obviously, and then tell me. So I feel a bit better about that now. I'm going to speculate that it's something to do with Vimuville and its associated drugs and supplements. Sure, of course, yeah. So what you're basically saying is because reasons. Yeah, yeah, supplements. Sure. There's absolute chaos unfolding at the police station as this drives towards its conclusion. Mm -hmm. But at the risk of my compliments for this, just me being reeling off effects that I like. Yeah. Just want to mention really quickly that when things escalate back at the ranch, if you like, for the nobles, what's the wife's name again? Angelica. Angelica, yeah. Um, There's that amazing moment where her tongue swells up. Oh, that's that's fucking amazing. That is amazing. Like when it grows to a, a frankly obscene proportions. Uh, yeah, it's it's ridiculous, but it is. It's really good. Like it's really really good. I think. Yeah, and it's unsettling as well. Yeah, I think, and I think that like that is kind of partially sold in the visual, but also partially sold in the performance because it's pretty convincing. Yeah, and ultimately, what happens here is she kind of chokes to death on her enormous tongue and the mad persistent green slime that is pouring out of every character by this point. Yeah, which is enough to slow anyone down, I suppose. But um, as the kind of like as we get to the police station and Brian, the wrongfully accused guy whose pregnant wife is now dead. Yeah, sadly. Um, isn't. He's in bad shape. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. This was a scene that really stuck with me when I was a little guy. Um, when we cut back to the police station, like, by this point, by the way, it's important to say, Dr. Carrera has the jigs up, he's blown his head off, game over. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, he's gone. When we get to that police station, I remember when I was little and I saw this, and I was just like, oh my god, look at that mess. How can you go into a location and make that? amount of mess and then be okay with it <laughs> because yeah. every surface 
is covered and every character is covered in green slime uh it is absolutely everywhere we do get the impression that, like when it's like oh we've got the use of this police station it's like yeah you can use it just like clean up after yourselves eh no uh, we, we'll just head out um and you said it's not going to be a lot of slime just a bit of slime you go no 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 it's fine it's fine it definitely won't be a lot oh yeah like hardly any slime hardly and then on any. the way out you pass massive blue fucking oil drums like the ones that jeffrey Dahmer stored bits in in his house <laughs> just like that's not filled with green slime is it no 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 that's sandwiches <laughs> i was gonna say yeah no 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 no. that's 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 uh, that's cranberry juice is what that is. <laughs> but the green slime um, like the volume is off the charts here yeah um and we lose brian here we do and I, I do feel this is another point where somehow madly the film pulls its punches because it looks like his head's going to explode and then it doesn't. Yeah, it's, it is strange that it's kind of like the film's last kind of flourish of uh, gore happens off camera. It is. It's an interesting choice. But it, it doesn't happen at all. Like, because his head really swells up, like, uh, in Big Trouble in Little China. And you think, yes, here we go. Massive fucking fountain of green gunge. But then it cuts to him and he's kind of just slumped down on the floor and his head's kind of returned to its normal shape. Yeah, it's weird. It's very anticlimactic. Yeah, that's the, the the one. That's one of the things I've always had a slight issue with in this film. Is I I feel like that's a pulled punch. The same way as yeah. I felt like the exploding cock was a bit of a pulled punch. I think this one in particular, though, because it is kind of like grand finale territory. It feels weird to back down at this point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I guess we've seen our last slime explosion. At this point, Willie even reappears at this point to debrief with Sam and Jono about the chaos. Yeah, we get some uh, cop humor. Mm-hmm. Classic. It's almost like the, the way they're talking, like it should just kind of freeze frame on them. Like they should just stop moving, and the theme from Police Squad should play. I was just gonna say, like Police Squad, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> definitely, um, very much that energy. Um, and we end on them stopping for aspirin, and we discover that a new line of uh, Vinyavol is in stores. With that, we're actually out on this film, but presumably that was seeding a sequel that I'm guessing did not arrive. I don't think it was seeding a sequel at all. I think it was just kind of the same way that and i know that i'm going to use cabin fever here as an example right and i know cabin fever had sequels but i don't know if it was ever intended to have sequels certainly by the amount of people involved in it that disowned it i would say no (laughs) but you know like at the end of cabin fever you see like there's like a drinking water lorry drives away sure and you're like oh well that's obviously water from the reservoir is going to go out and everyone's going to get this fucking disease yeah sure Mm -hmm. the same thing you have to assume is happening here with the vimuville drug so do you think that it's more just like um, uh, not so much seeding a sequel as much as just kind of being a stinger? I do. That's exactly what I think. I think it's a stinger more than anything else, more than it's setting up anything else. I don't think Philip Brophy or anyone else involved in the making of this film ever had Any aspirations or, to, make yeah. a, to make a sequel from it. Uh, what I do think, though, is that given the massive clusterfuck that is Vinuville, I don't see these drugs really reaching that many people. Because no, I would say that they're going to be recalled very soon. Yeah, I think that given that enormous amount of chaos wreaked in this very small town that those, oh, yeah. those vitamins will be pulled from that shelf pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, when, when you take the deaths as the percentage of the population, it's high. Yeah, well, that's one whole street wiped out. Right, so you're going to think that there's only one street in there. Yeah, that's it's pretty much blown up the map. Yeah, bye-bye Holmesville. Very much so, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we're done at that point with Body Melt. Now, so yeah, I, I, I didn't like this. Um, <laughs> uh, and I probably don't like it anymore. That now that we've got, we've got done talking about it, there were elements that I liked, but I've kind of touched on them, and I think the fact that I had to go back to the well and the practical things so often kind of tells its own story. This sure. is not my thing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I get the appeal very much so, but I think that like um, and I did mention it earlier, I think that there is just kind of this baseline lacking 
of stakes beyond unpleasantness. Okay. Um, yeah. And okay. and that's that. I think that just kind of just kind of it, it just it's the kind of thing that really drives me away from stuff. And yeah, this is no exception. Uh, I struggled with it, particularly the the pod Gino and Sal arc family arc yeah is definitely the stuff that i found hardest work the i was gonna say police procedural stuff i think that might be a kind of overly fancy term for it but that stuff was probably um kind of worked a little better for me but uh yeah i would say that i'm kind of i've always of a mind that when it's an andy versus mitch week and you're picking something that the chances are there'll be an element of this kind of thing uh when it's turned up to 11 in this way kind of at the expense of anything else i really kind of find it hard to find an entry point to get on board with it Okay, no, that's that's absolutely fair. I did say when I picked it, I thought it was a pretty big gamble, and I was fairly confident that you wouldn't like it. Yeah, just you wait until you hear what I'm picking next time. Mitch, I have to say, I think my hit to miss ratio has been pretty much heavily weighted on the hits. Ah, so uh, yes. I can't. I know I can't win them all. I was never going to win them all, and I know that this film absolutely will not appeal to everyone. Like, not even, not even close. Like. No. But I have heard some voices come out saying, nice choice, Andy, well done. Aha, uh-huh. definitely, definitely a reserve of enthusiasm out there. I want to know what everybody else thinks of this. I want to know if I'm on an island with this or if uh, oh, no, some not. other people out there. Uh, like, well, I mean, it's got, like it's sitting with 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm assuming that I'm not on an island, but I'd be curious to know what specifically the listeners to this show think of it. So with that, it's over to you, and you can get in touch with us through all the usual channels. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. You can email scenes at gmail.com, where you can, of course... Search the Chud Locker on Facebook and join in our Facebook group. Yeah. And, of course, check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes. We're posting stuff with some regularity there. Check it out. Check out the tiers that we've got available. There might be stuff that appeals to you. might be stuff that interests you. We're actually going to be revisiting the tiers a little bit. We'll keep you all posted on any changes. But if you're a patron, you might know about some of the other kind of things that we're going to be adding in there so yeah keep your eyes peeled have a look if you're interested get involved 100 however we are never gone for long we're back on monday with another mini so join us for that we will be talking about what we've been watching i've got a couple of things sitting uh also find out what's going on with andy's nature's gone wild side quest <laughs> get the latest on that see if you can top terror birds um we'll also be uh, taking a look at your feedback playing mitch's pitches and cluing you in on next week's episode as well so all of that and more this monday yeah i'd love to say it's all going to be downhill after terror birds but i fucking hope not no <laughs> I, I really hope i really hope that's not the peak i don't know how much lower i can sink <laughs> we're back monday join us then if you can in the meantime don't forget it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chads goodbye bye guys You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.